Welcome to Gateway Community Church, Webster, Texas. We're so glad you found us, and we hope this message helps you discover more about God and His unique plan for your life. So we certainly are blessed to give, and, and we are called as followers of Jesus to model ourselves after Him, and, and He tells us God so loved the world that He gave. And so that's, um, that's how we practice being more like Him. And um, I hope you're practicing through reading your journal each day, and um, hopefully you're in a group. Some amazing stories already are coming out. It's very, very exciting, and uh, I, love, I love hearing those things as God is working and transforming, and many of you are having some really cool experiences, what God is doing. And for some of you, that even means you may be to the point of considering baptism. Again, just remind you that we will be offering baptism this evening at 5 o'clock in the coffee shop. And right after this service down at the Life Center, you can go and find out about that if that's something working in you. This is our third week of the series, Transformed. And we have uh, partnered with Rick Warren and Saddleback Church in Southern California to, to work alongside them to seek to allow ourselves to be transformed by the grace of God. And our theme verse is Romans 12 2. It's up here, and let's say this together. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And uh, sometimes it's helpful to look at a scripture in a slightly different translation. It's not any less or more true necessarily, but in the New Living Translation, which you use a lot around here, it says this, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think, by the renewing of your mind, by changing the way you think. And, and that is more important than perhaps we realize that if we think Christianity is something that I just sit back and let happen to me, that, that's not true. Christianity is a lifestyle that I have to actively engage in, and part of that is by the changing the way I think. Rick Warren summed up what we're looking at today in one sentence. He said, God is far more interested in changing your mind and in changing your circumstances. Now, as soon as I say that, some of you think, well, wait a minute. I'm praying all the time that God would change my circumstances. There's there's stuff going on in my life, and I need him to change what is happening to me. That's that's what I'm even talking to him about. We want God often to take away our problems, our pain, our suffering, our our sickness, and, and, and God says that will happen one, at least one day, and perhaps some of us will experience it in, in this life. But for now, what is, is even more important is what's happening in us versus to us. See, God is more interested in changing how you and I think even than he change, in changing our circumstances. Because... Nothing glorious happens in our our lives until our thoughts begin to change. Our thoughts are so important to how you and I live our lives that a lot of times they're they're unexamined in in our lifestyles. But it's important to manage our minds for, for, let me run through three quick reasons. First, because my thoughts control my life. I mean, if you think about it, every action I have begins with a thought. Even if I'm going to reach over and pick up a cup of coffee right now, even if it's subtle, 
there's a thought involved in that. I don't think it. I don't do it. Proverbs 4.23 then says, be careful how you think. Your life is shaped by your thoughts. And if we think about it, we know that's true. Our our, our thoughts have tremendous power to, to shape our lives for good or for bad. And that's where many of us are. Our struggle is that sometimes we run up against thoughts in our lives that are, that are leading us down paths that aren't helpful because someone said them to us when we were a kid or, or we've been hearing them at work over and over again and they start pounding on us. You're, you're worthless. You're no good. You'll never amount to anything. You're ugly. You don't stand a chance. Now, the one thing I can tell you about all of those things, that every one of them is a lie. It's a lie. But for some of you, when I said it, there was a cringe because that thought does run through your mind. Some of those thoughts run through my mind. A second reason why it's important to manage our minds is because the mind is the battleground for sin. We, we, we often think of temptation as something out there. You know, I, I saw it in a store window. I saw it on the internet. I saw it across the room. But, but here's the thing. Temptation always begins up here in our minds. And so sin, therefore, first happens in my mind before I ever act on it. I have to, I have to think it before I do it. Sins like lust, pride. Bitterness, hatred, fear, envy, or worry. All those things start in our minds. They grow in our minds. And if I can learn how then to manage my mind, if I can counter those things with God's help, then I have begun to learn to manage my mind, which then therefore can manage my life. Romans 7, 23 says, I love God's law or God's word with all my heart, but there's another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that's still within me. Even for those of us who are followers of Jesus, it doesn't mean all the sin has gone. There's still a struggle going on. And and our minds are our greatest asset. So, therefore, when the enemy, Satan, wants to work in our lives, our mind is the best place for him to work, to try to gain control. Because whatever gets your attention or mine, whatever you and I think on, gets me. You start focusing on something, good or bad, and it will get your attention. And then third, because it's the key to peace and joy. An unmanaged mind leads to to tension, to conflict, to chaos. A managed mind leads to peace and confidence and strength. In Romans 8, it says, so letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. But letting the spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. Letting God at work. So this morning we're going to look at, at three choices that you and I need to make. And not just we're going to make them right now. We need to make them every day. We may need to make them several times throughout our day to, to keep at them. Because we're going, to, we're going to get conflicting messages all throughout our day. First one is I must feed my mind with truth. With truth. Okay, we all know the importance of good nutrition, good food 
helps us grow and keeps us healthy. And feeding my mind the right things keeps my mind healthy. And those right things are, are God's truth. He created us. He knows us best. He will feed us that which is best for us and can transform us. So Jesus said, you will know the truth, the truth, and that truth will set you free. We need the best information. We need the right information to live the best life, to live God's life the way God wants us to. And that comes through God's Word. His his Word, the Bible, begins to spell out for us what does that look like? How does that happen? What are you battling against? Jesus said, people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. In essence, the Bible is our owner's manual. Okay, what, what, what do you know about an owner's manual? It was written by the one who made the product, right? You don't buy an owner's manual for your car from the dairy place, do you? You don't buy your owner's manual for um, a, a, a phone from the car dealership. You get it from the one who created it, who made it. And that is exactly what God has said. I made you. I created you. And therefore, this manual is the right manual for you. If you take another manual, it's not going to work very well. It's going to tell you to connect point A to point B, and there isn't even a point A or point B on there. You have to use what was made for the right product, and that's exactly what God is telling us. And when do we use it? Well, all the time. It doesn't do us any good to sit it on a shelf and, and not use all the options or things that, that are a part of it or, or not even learn the beginning point of it. And so we need to spend time with the owner's manual to discover how to live our lives, how we can make the most of our lives, how we can do things the right way, the way God wants us to. So that in the Psalm 119, it says, How I love your law. I think about it all day long. Because here's the thing, even in the 40 minutes that we've been here this morning, you've had some stray thoughts, haven't you? You, you, You've thought about some other things. Maybe it's lunch. Maybe it's about a show you're going to watch. Maybe it's about someone you're attracted to. Maybe it's about those kids. I don't know. But, but you, you've had some of those, those things running around. And, and it's easy to think about one thing, then think about another and another. And before long, God's out of the picture. And so I need to be bringing him back into my picture all throughout the day to help him transform. It's just as nutritionists say, yeah, you could eat one or two big meals a day, but you would do a lot better for your system if you ate multiple small meals throughout the day. And the same thing's true with our, our faith journey. Second, I must free my mind from destructive thoughts. And this is huge. This is so big. Our minds are prisoners of destructive thoughts that reflect often what others have said to me, either when I was young or recently, and even sometimes what I say to myself or I repeat over and over to myself. And here's the thing. It doesn't matter if it's true or not. If I believe it, it affects me. I... I, I don't act on something I don't give stock to. But if I think it's true, I begin to act on it. But just because I think it's true, I can think the world's flat. For for centuries, people did. Didn't make it true. I can think God doesn't care about my life. Or I can think God, God would never forgive me for what I did. 
And I can act on that belief, but that doesn't make it true. What does the owner's manual say? The owner's manual says that's not true. But what are you using? How are we knowing that? How are we discovering that? And there are three enemies specifically that are working to defeat our best intentions. The first enemy is my sinful nature, my old sinful nature. Paul talks about how his his sin nature had kept him in mental bondage. In Romans 7.23, he says, I see a different law in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin, which is in my members. I can think, I don't want to eat any more cookies today because I, I like them, but they're not necessarily good for me. But before long, I start sneaking over, and there are those Girl Scout cookies, and the Thin Mints are really hard. You know, once you open the package, I mean... Struck a nerve. <laughs> Girl Scouts are great, but they are sources of temptation. <laughs> we, we can have the best of intentions, but that nature of sin in us, which is being hopefully transformed to become less and less important by the grace of God through his Holy Spirit, is still there. And, but the good news is, though, the sin nature is going to be stronger than me. God is stronger than it. So it says in Romans 8, those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things. But those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. The second enemy is Satan. Satan wants to control our minds. And the good news is, if you are a follower of Christ, he cannot enter into your body. We cannot be possessed by him. He can only speak into us. He can't be in us. And and we, we are grateful for that. But it doesn't mean he doesn't have influence, that he speaks slyly these ideas and thoughts into our minds, planting negative thoughts, or that we can do this, or we can get away with that, or surely he didn't mean that when he said it. And here's a, here's a thought that you and I need to kind of hang on to. You and I do not have to believe everything we think. Just because I think it doesn't mean I have to believe it. Because I have discovered over time that I don't always think things that are right or true. Stuff I think about uh, my wife or, my, or a husband or my boss or coworker or, or even myself Nothing is true just because I thought it. And we'll talk more about that in our groups during the week. But Satan loves to plant those thoughts. You know, you're not good enough. No one cares about you. Why would anyone think your opinion matters? You're not attractive. Get even. They did that to you. They deserve it. We start getting that self-talk going. And before long, we're putting ourselves in a a, a defensive, defeated place. It says in 2 Corinthians, when I forgive whatever needs to be forgiven, I do so with Christ's authority for your benefit so so that Satan will not outsmart us, for we are familiar with his evil schemes. 
There's nothing he loves more than to keep you from forgiving somebody. You're thinking, look at me, man. I'm, I'm showing them. I'm not forgiving them. But what is happening? You're thinking about them all the time, aren't you? It, it starts to become a part of it. And it starts getting in your way when you want to do something fun. All of a sudden, you start thinking about that person that did something to you. And you start getting angry. And before long, it gets, there's bitterness in you. And you just you become a sour person. Why? Because that's exactly what Satan wanted you to do. Don't forgive. Don't forgive yourself. Get angry with yourself. Some of us in here, we can't forgive ourselves for something or some things that we've done. God can. Are you, are you better than God that God can forgive you, but you can't? But we don't think of it like that. We think I'm somehow noble or we don't deserve it. We don't deserve it. It's a gift. But it is a gift. Only if you and I receive it. Paul says that when I choose not to forgive, I'm falling into Satan's trap. And so we forgive in part to outsmart him, to not get caught up in his destructive plans. Because Satan wants us to be bitter. He wants us to, our thoughts to focus on something bad or unhelpful or destructive, to get caught up in that, to fail to forgive so he can get a hold on us. A third enemy is the world's values. I mean, if you stop and think about it, the culture all around us is in large part opposed to the values of Jesus Christ. It, it, it dismisses self-discipline. Why should I stop doing something if I like it? It, it, in, it encourages us to have our own way. It says that movies about bondage are okay. That integrity is old-fashioned. That we're to follow our feelings wherever they go. I mean, you and I could count off a hundred movies that they're almost like the end line or one of the last lines is follow your heart. Do what, you, do what feels right. And sometimes that can lead us into very bad places. And we'll look at some of that Next week. The world's value system is all around us, promoted by advertisers, promoted by movies, television, songs, and, and often even personalities, celebrities, that it seldom encourages us to actually live a responsible, mentally healthy life. It says in 1 John, for all that it is, is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. Money, sex, and power. That's what the world values. That's what it lifts up. That's what it says we need to have more of. But that is not the value that God has created for us or his intention. It's not that they are inherently bad, but they can be used when they are focused on. And they were not created for our best. So how do we fight this battle? How do we stand up to the best best intentions of, of changing when we're battling this, old, this triple threat of, of our sin nature, of Satan, and of the world around us. 2 Corinthians verse, chapter 10, beginning of verse 3 says, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Notice the language Paul's using here. It's, it's war. It's battle. 
It, 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 it's, it's, it's like that. Paul says we must demolish strongholds. And a stronghold is nothing more than a lie that it, it, I have believed in that tends to corrupt my life. In fact, I may not even recognize it as a lie. In fact, I may value it, but it is a lie according to the word of God. And I think if I do those things or I have those things, somehow my life will be better. But those are lies. Paul says that if we're going to learn to be mentally healthy, we've got to learn to demolish those strongholds. He says we have to take captive those thoughts when they, when they crop them in our minds. We've got to be, it's kind of like you've got to pay attention to what you're thinking. You know, sometimes we want to just kind of be on, on, on cruise control. But he's saying we've got, to, we've got to pay attention to what we're thinking. And when those kind of thoughts come into our minds, we've got to grab a hold of them. And we've got to hold them up to the truth of God's word. We've got to make them obedient to Christ. Does this align with what God says? Does this align with his word? Does this align with the life of Jesus Christ? And if it doesn't, I need to throw it out. What Paul's talking about, in essence, is that we need to learn how to make our mind mind us versus going off in its own directions. We've got to bring it under submission. We've got to make it captive. We've got to make it obedient. Our minds often disobey. They, they rebel. They get distracted, squirrel, you know, and, and, and go on all kinds of directions and temptations toward things that maybe have no good value for us. Temptation, we need to understand how it works. And, and the book of James in the first chapter shows us something very helpful. It, it says, in, beginning in verse 14, we are tempted when we're drawn away and trapped by our own evil desires. Then our evil desires conceive and give birth to sin, and sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. So the very first step in the pattern of recognizing temptation is desire. I, if I don't have a desire for something, it doesn't tempt me. Some of you smoke. Some of you have smoked in your lives. I have never smoked. And, and I say that not because I have some kind of great willpower, but because growing up in, in, in my household, my father smoked cigars, cheap, stinky cigars. And for the first 10 years or so of my life, I didn't know any better. But as I got a little bit older and I started discovering that's not what all fathers did, and then we would get in the car, and I grew up in Louisiana, which is very much like Houston in the summer with air conditioning on, and my father, who was a very frugal man, so he was not going to open the windows to, lay, to waste that precious AC. And so we went on trips, and we drove around town with cigar smoke in our car. You know, you open the door, and it was just like this cloud and I, I thought that was normal for the longest time. And then I started breathe, getting where I could breathe fresh air again, and it changed my life. <laughs> but but here, 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 I mean, seriously, I was never tempted in, in junior high, high school, with anything that could be smoked. I might have been tempted by other things, but I was never tempted by anything you could smoke because my experience was so hard for me personally that I had no desire. It didn't tempt me. But there are other things that do tempt me. And some of those things that tempt me may not tempt you in the least. So it, we, you know, it, it's not a one-size-fits-all, but all of these things begin in, internally in, in us, in our desires. It doesn't start out there. It's not because I first saw it on television. It's because there's something inside of me that, that has a desire. And many times those desires are good things until they become the focus of my life. 
You know, the desire for food is a good thing unless I become obsessed with it. The desire to succeed is a good thing unless it becomes the preoccupation and becomes the measure of my self-worth. And then it becomes destructive. Often temptation is an attempt to fulfill a legitimate desire like, I just want to be loved. There's nothing wrong with that. Until I start looking outside of God's love. I start thinking, I, I, I want that, that boy or that girl to love me. And so what do I do? I start compromising my values a little bit. I start, I start doing something that my, my mom or my dad told me, you shouldn't do that. But why? Because I want them to love me. And the only way I can get their attention is to do that. And we do that. We call that peer pressure on varying degrees and, we, and all kinds of things. But, but we, we submit sometimes to others that we shouldn't because we think not consciously, but because deep down we've bought into this our thoughts that I have to do these things to get them to like me, to love me. And I compromise my values and God's, the values God has created me for. Which leads to the next step in temptation is doubt. So I start to wonder, is it really, did I get it wrong from God? Did God really say that? Did, did he really say, don't have sex outside of marriage? Because I, I don't like that. Did he really say, forgive that person instead of getting even? Because it feels good, at least for a moment, to get even. Did he say it's more blessed to give than to receive? And we start doubting what God has said. We see it so clearly in Adam and Eve in the very first temptation in the Garden of Eden. All's wonderful, but Satan in the guise of, of, a, of a serpent uh, comes along and he says, did God really say that you can't eat the fruit of the tree? You know, did he really? I mean, I read that and I hear it, and it's like as soon as I hear the way he said it, it's like it's casting doubt. You know how you and I can say something to somebody else when we want them to doubt, and we can say it in a way, and immediately we've, we've, we've cast doubt on that. And that's exactly what I hear here, the way he asked the question. And then he says, if they eat the fruit of that tree, they'll be like God. They'll know everything. So surely God doesn't want to keep that from you. And they start to doubt God, and, and, and that's exactly what he wants us to do. And we start doubting if God not telling me the truth here. What is it? Does he really love me? Does it really matter how I live my life? Do I really have a purpose? Should I really forgive? And we go on and on and on. And we wonder, does God know what's best? And after a while, we live kind of like practical atheists. We say we believe in God, but the truth of the matter is nothing about the way we live our lives reflects that because we have gotten to the point where we so doubt him that we've gone to the third step, which is deception that we replace God's truth with his lies. You won't eat this if you die. There's no harm if I do that. It, there's nothing wrong with it. I know the Bible says I shouldn't, but, but it, it's been fine. And Satan deceives us to believe his lie versus God's truth. But James says we are tempted when we are drawn away and trapped by our own evil desires. How does Satan draw us away? How does he lure us? Well, with the right bait. Now, I, I like to fish. Some of you like to fish. I've been fishing. When I can tell, if you're a fisherman, you know, you can tell sometimes when the fish are biting, but they're not biting my bait. Okay? You can sit there, and you can scratch your head, and you can get really frustrated, or you can reach down to your tackle box, and you pull out another lure. Why? Because they don't bite everything. There are only certain things that they'll go after. But when I use the right bait, I've caught them sometimes every cast, one after another. That's fun. The right bait. And that's what Satan does. He takes our weaknesses. 
things that in our sane moments we, would, we, we understand aren't true, aren't good for us, but we're struggling, we're going through a hard time, we're questioning a lot of things in, intentionally and unintentionally, and suddenly his lure looks really good. And, and it's deception because we know often that there is a hook in that lure, but we still keep nibbling because we think we can nibble around it. You know, it's sort of like you're married, but you're flirting with someone in the office. You know there's a hook there. You know there's a point where you can go too far, but you deceive yourself in that, hey, I'm an adult. I can stop at any time. We're just having, we're just having fun. Nobody's going to get hurt. And then three months later, you've done something you never imagined you would ever do, and you're hooked. Temptation always looks better than it is. And that leads, unfortunately, to the fourth step, disobedience and defeat. What began up here in my mind has now been translated into action. And once I've done it, it's done, and it's destructive. And and folks say, well, you know, what's the danger of a harmless fantasy? It is not harmless, not if we're honest, because... We don't, we don't ever go from here over to here. We always go from here to here and from here to here. They're little steps. It's that slippery slope. The problem is when, I'm, when I started over here, but I've taken a lot of little steps to get over here, this next little step doesn't seem like a big deal. Although if I started back over here, I'd see, man, that's a big distance. But I've walked down a path and we think I'm smart enough to know when I've crossed the line. I bet every one of us who has said that can still point to a time where we discovered we weren't smart enough because our thoughts get disrupted and and get messed up. What I flirt with, I'll fall for. It could be food. It could be a person. It could be whatever. It, It continues in James. Then our evil desires conceive and give birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. And what is death? It's the opposite of living, of getting the best out of life. We're free to make that choice, any choice. But here's the thing. Once I do, wherever that point is on that spectrum, I am not free from the consequences of that choice. We reap what we sow. We always do. And so with this in mind, the best time to win the battle with temptation is before it ever begins. Don't even take the first step. That's why Psalm 119 verse 112 says, I have made up my mind to obey your laws forever, no matter what. I've mentioned this before, but I remember a gentleman I knew many years ago who had been married like 50 years, and he said to me one time, Randy, every morning when I get up, the first decision I make today is that today I am going to love my wife. And he says, now I've made that decision. And therefore, no matter what comes my way, no matter what she says to me, no matter how I mess up or whatever happens, I have made that decision. And I remember that I made it this morning and I can live it out. Many of us... It may be a long time since we consciously thought, today, I'm going to love my wife, or today, I'm going to trust God, or today, I'm going to forgive so-and-so. I, I, I said it yesterday, and I still have to do it today because I'm still battling it. Forgiveness is not a one-time thing. 
Forgiveness is something you and I often have to do over and over and over and work on it. Because our mind says, well, if you forgive them, it, it ought to be done. But there's the rest of us that's still so tied to it. We can't. Folks, we cannot play with temptation. We may get by once, and we may make it twice. Some of you can say, you're thinking to yourself right now, I got away with it. Did you? Maybe you did that time. Maybe you won't the next time. But the other thing is, what did it do to your character? Has it warped the way you even think? We forget that. We forget how easy it is to get down a path we never intended to go. We have to make up our minds before we start down that road of of desire and doubt and, and deception that inevitably leads to disobedience and defeat. I'm going to obey God now, no matter what. Even for some of you to say, I haven't been, but starting now, I've got to. And yes, it's going to be complicated, and yes, it's going to create some, some issues. But you can't just not. It becomes something we have to begin. So there, there are three choices we've got to make every day. First, feed my mind constantly on truth. Second, then free my mind from destructive thoughts. And then the third thing is I must focus my mind on the right things. Because here's the thing. In, in, using another analogy, nature abhors a vacuum, Right? Nature abhors a vacuum. It, it, it can't. And so when I, I say to you, you got to stop doing this, and you start thinking, okay, I'm going to stop doing this, what happens? The, the more you just stop and you don't replace, you start thinking about it. And I'm trying harder to do it. And the more I try harder to do it, the more it tempts me. If I start thinking about that candy bar at home, before long, I'm going to unwrap it. And I'm going to eat it. Instead, I need to replace it with something else. Do something else. Eat something healthy. Whatever the case may be. And and what are those things that we need to think about? First, think about Jesus. And and, and not just now, but all through the week. Not one hour a week. Can, Can one hour a week truly impact the other hours? Only if we keep working on it. Hebrews 12, 3 says, think about Jesus' example. He held on while wicked people were doing evil things to him. So do not get tired and stop trying. Christianity has never been a one-shot deal. It is a lifestyle. It is a cultural expression of how we live our lives. And when it's feeling hard to resist, we can't just stop thinking about a temptation, but we can turn our thoughts to Jesus to refocus our energy. There's a chorus that goes, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full into his wonderful face, and the things of this world will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Second, I need to think about others. Philippians 2, 4 says, don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. Now, I want to tell you, that is really counterculture because the world around us encourages us to look out for number one. Do whatever is better for me than it is for you. If you have to suffer for it, well, that's too bad, but I need to do what's best for me. And we're encouraged to do that. But perhaps one of the most countercultural statements I've ever read outside of the Bible is the first line in Rick Warren's book from several years ago, Purpose Driven Life, where he said, it's not about you. 
That's the very first, that's the very first sentence in his, 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 his book. It's not about you. Well, all I got to do is look at television, and it does. It says it's all about me. All I got to do is, is listen to some of those promoters. It's all about me. What's in it for me? What do I get out of it? How can it help me? But could that be a stronghold, a lie that I have so bought into that I keep pursuing stuff for me no matter how much I get, it's never enough, is it? You can always find something more unless I change the way I think. And I do that by turning away from me, turning to Jesus, and turn to others. Hebrews 10.24 says, let us think about each other and help each other to show love and do good deeds. It's why serving Makes such a difference. It's why being involved in missions, loving each other in small groups are great places to practice unselfishness and push past a consumer mentality of what's in it for me. Because when you walk out these doors, when you turn on the radio, everything, almost every other message you're going to get the rest of the day is going to say it's about you. And you have to decide if that's true or if God's word is true. And then the third is think about eternity. Because today we, we so often we focus on the now, short term. But in Colossians 3, 2, it says, think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. We get so focused on the sensual things of this life, on the temptations all around us, that we, do, we have a hard time imagining eternity. Or, or if we do think on it, we dismiss it. Because if, you, if you've been in the groups, you saw that one of the things... Rick Warren said is we often have this idea that heaven is where I'm going to be floating around in a white gown on a white cloud strumming a white harp, okay? How many of us are musicians? He he is. (laughs) But most of us, is it really, I I mean, I don't have a problem with what we do, but is is floating around on a harp really what you want to do for the rest of your life? I I know what Rick Warren said on the video. He said he thought that was hell. Maybe it is. The Bible says, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. Start thinking about that more and more this week, about him throughout your day. Don't make him a one hour a week thought, but turn to him, focus on him. Think about others, think about heaven. And when I do, I start to find that I don't have much time or much energy to focus on the bad things. And I have a standard to hold up to so that I can think on the right things. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. You know, we have a picture over here that we, we want to proclaim as Jesus that was painted by Kathy Janae in our church for our women's retreat a few weeks ago. And she kind of redid it a little bit to put transformed on there. In just a moment after I pray, we're going to just quickly sing that chorus I I spoke to you a moment ago. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. And if it helps you to turn and look to him, because sometimes it does, then do that as as we sing. Our prayer team is going to come down in just a moment um, as I pray, and they'll be here to talk with you also. Would you join me? Heavenly Father, thank you that you love us. I, I know, God, there are so many voices that tell me I'm, I'm valued by what I can produce, by who I know, by what I have. But ultimately, you say you love me because you, are, you made me. Warts and all, sin and all. 
And that truth alone, I gotta wrap my mind around, Father, because the world around me doesn't say that. And my mind often wanders into those other places. I pray, Father, that you would help us transform the way we think so that we can think in ways that are godly and God-honoring, that build us up and build the kingdom up. Father, we need your help to do this. But your promise is you're as close as our breath. Your spirit lives in us if we're a follower of Jesus. And we can turn our eyes on Jesus anytime. Help us to do that now, Father. And to live that way. Turn our eyes upon Jesus. We ask that in his name. Amen. To learn more about us, visit www.gateway-community.org. Welcome to your journey.